Oh, gee, we are back reporting for duty for another eight weeks of podcasting. Yay. That's that's the type of excitement we bring to the table here at the Stacky Benjamin Show. But you know something you can get excited about? About uh, kicking off these eight weeks with our shout out to the men and women in our armed forces. How about that? Can you get behind that, that one? Get excited about. Give us a little more enthusiasm there. On behalf yes. of the men and women of Navy Federal Credit Union, a big shout out to the men and women serving in our armed forces. Let's all go stack some Benjamins, peeps. Here's the song that we'd like to do for all the younger set of people, the teenagers and what have you. This one's called Vacation Zone. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and do you want to get ahead without burning bridges along the way? Well, with help from today's guest, you'll learn how to achieve more and skip being a jerk altogether. Join me in welcoming David Bodanis. Plus, as we begin football season in America, and for those of you listening around the world, I'm talking about the real football, not that one where you actually touch the ball with your feet. Oh, well, anyway, one American football team is partnering with FinTech to educate its fans. And we'll get all cryptic about crypto during our TikTok Minute. Later, we'll toss out the Haven Lifeline to Leah, who's in a good financial position to buy a house, but with house prices being sky high, should she buy now or maybe hold off for a bit? And I'll share some very cool trivia. And now, two guys who are probably just waiting for home prices to crash before getting a basement of their own, it's Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G. been telling mom that for eight years just waiting for the prices to cool then we'll go find our own space hey everybody welcome to zero rent for the win podcast i'm joe saul see hi average joe money on twitter happy september we're so happy to be back the team is refreshed excited we got david bodanis coming down to the basement from england that's where he is now however he doesn't have the british accent he is more of a chicago accent because that's where he's day, mate. He, he's originally exactly like that more important than david bodanis though that uh multilingual gentleman sitting across from me is the one and only og yeah, i can speak english in four languages i can speak that language in four different bad dialects no it's all different i'm certain of it it's all totally different i'm bilingual twice <laughs> I speak pig Latin. Squared. Kind of. Very slowly. I wonder if the kids would get that. That would be be kind of fun. David Bodanis, for many years, taught the intellectual toolkit course at Oxford. If you're not familiar with David Bodanis' work, I'm so excited that we've got him coming on. Of course, he also wrote this best-selling book called Equals MC Squared, which PBS turned into this documentary, Einstein's Big Idea, which was absolutely amazing. But this project of his, How to Get Ahead without being a jerk. The art of fairness. Can you get there? Can you stack more Benjamins? And uh, as you K 
can probably believe his answer is yes, but it ain't easy. You should be taking a lot of notes. <laughs> Thanks. We have, we, on that note, let's get this party started because we've got some fantastic headlines. But first, this episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. And now we can get rolling. Let's go into a very interesting headline on fintech hello darlings and now it's time for your favorite part of the show our stacking benjamin's headlines in our first headline football meets finance meets fintech pro football's back og college football's back which is exponentially better than pro football college football has uh, been back for a couple weeks my michigan state spartans not looking as rotten as uh, i was thinking they might what do they want to know well, at the time we record this, hopefully by the time people listen to this, they're 2-0. and Who they got this weekend? Such a fan, I can tell, as he gets out the Googler. As, I, as I'm looking it up. <laughs> yeah, they are playing a team this week that uh, hopefully they should beat. Uh, they are playing the... Uh, the? It's the Youngstown State. Oh, FCS program. That would be embarrassing to lose to. Here's here's the big question: What is Youngtown State's mascot? The the fighting, uh, I don't know, the penguins. Yes, penguins, indeed, for the win. Of course, yes. But uh, hopefully, yeah, hopefully Michigan State wins that game. And uh, yes, we're two and zero, OG. And if we're not, I'm going to have all the youngster. I'm going to have both Youngstown State fans that also listen to the show are going to be all up in my you, you should make a bet with them. Like uh, Trevor Lawrence said, he had to wear all Georgia gear after the Clemson-Georgia game. 
two weeks ago. I'll have to go buy some Youngstown. Somebody will send Youngstown it to you. State gear. Someone will send it to you. Yes. And I'll have to wear it on, on our YouTube channel. But pro football is starting. Right. Yeah. One team, San Francisco 49ers, according to this investment news piece written by Nicole Kasperson, is partnering up with Stash, the online brokerage with over 6 million users to promote financial literacy and wealth building to millions of fans. Nicole writes that together, the organization will push Stash's financial literacy program, Stash 101, which launched following Stash acquisition of Paygrade, a platform that provides teachers with a finance curriculum designed around simulated banking and investing. Stash 101 comes on the heels of the fintech's recent entrance into the robo-advice space, a fresh $125 million funding round, and a surge in its assets under management to more than $3 billion. This is an interesting partnership, OG, because I think when, when you hit up a football stadium full of people and you're introducing them to financial literacy, something that um, that apparently they're also, by partnering with the 49ers, are getting some of the players involved and also working with any platform where people are watching the 49ers, you've got this much better ability to reach people that otherwise might not, might not be reached. We often hear that people say the information's not out there. You and I've been here long enough to know the information's out there. Nobody's just really looking for it. Maybe putting it in people's face while they're trying to watch their favorite football team. Maybe that'll be helpful. Gonna run an ad. Like, did you just lose your mortgage payment on DraftKings? Is your fantasy team (laughs) not doing what it's supposed to? Maybe take some of that money and invest it with us. Build your own financial franchise. Marketing copy. There it is. Hope they're writing it down. Hey, Stash, if you would like to hire us, Joe and OG here at Stacking Benjamins. We are available. I think that uh, anytime that you can figure out a way to deliver content by having something else wrapped around it, there's a better chance that people are going to consume it. Braden Krieg, the CEO of Stash, agrees with you. He says, the sooner young people are exposed to core money skills and concepts, from budgeting to credit to taxes, the sooner they'll feel empowered to invest in themselves and get started on their unique journeys toward financial freedom. 20 bucks, 20 bucks, by the way, says that Brandon didn't actually say that. His uh, marketing team put those words in his mouth. But that doesn't mean they're wrong, OG. Yeah. The earlier you get at people, I mean, look at look at what's going on in high schools all over the place. People are getting maybe tangentially a little bit of the right news from places like Robinhood because all their friends are betting on stocks now. But it seems like with all that frenzy, it's a great time for fintech firms to take advantage of the gamification, show people maybe some better opportunities. Perfect time as the SEC is cracking down on it. Yes. What, crack it down on Robinhood. Nah, just the whole gamification thing, actually. But no, you're right. When it comes to ways to interact with people, I doubt that you know people at the 49ers games are going to be like, you know what? I probably shouldn't have that popcorn. I'm going to save that based on that ad I saw. You know, I'm not going to drink that third beer for $14. I'll invest that in this app instead. But if there's something that they can see there and see again in another place and then see when, you know, the 49ers are on the road and they're sitting on their couch and they have the opportunity to play on their phone at the exact same time, I think there's a better likelihood. And um, although I am interested in the young people discussion is, is the average age of NFL viewership young. I don't know about the NFL. I know the MLB has struggled with that, which is why, and sadly, what you're seeing, what I'm seeing anyway, is MLB appears to be wholeheartedly embracing betting on the games Yeah, to bring the age down. If they would let the players bet, that would be more exciting. Let Pete Rose in the Hall of Fame, <laughs> finally. 
and let him bet on games, like openly. He can bet on bet on the game. I'm kidding. That would be a bad idea. You talk about the SEC cracking down on gamification. Do, do you think that gamification is really the problem, or is it kind of what David Bodanis is going to talk about today, like doing it for good, right, versus being a jerk and getting people to do things that they shouldn't do? I mean, I feel like some of the gamification that – Robin Hood uses as an example are around getting people to do things that might be detrimental to their overall financial health, investing money in risky stuff that they probably shouldn't be putting into the stock market where I think other gamification that helps people uh, look at acorns people rounding up their purchases when they go to a retailer and investing these little bits of money, not harmful, but the gamification aspect helps people yeah. helps people get in. Use your powers for good, not evil, I guess, huh? I'm also wondering about something else here. As researching this piece, I saw that Michael Jordan getting involved in an app for estate planning. Apollo Anton Ono uh, just joined the personal capital marketing campaign. Also, Betterment is working with Maggie Siff. You might not know the name Maggie Siff, but if you've seen the show Billions, you know that she's the psychiatrist, Wendy Rhodes. And so I think partnering with with the psychologist. She was also the, the girlfriend in Sons of Anarchy. Oh, so kind of a kind of a wide ranging uh, <laughs> uh, career there. And of course, Acorns, backed by Jennifer Lopez, A Rod, Bono, Ashton Kutcher, Kevin Durant. But this idea of superstars going that way, it feels like man, fintech, fintech's hot right now. Are all those people getting into it to help the everyday no. guy or gal? <laughs> J Lo's like you know. I just need to help my fans. I think we need more financial literacy and I can get rich. <laughs> and I can get rich. Right. I mean, that's what nice people do. I'm sure David Bodanis is going to say that. Just when you when you get wealthy, just take other people with you, right? There's nothing wrong with getting rich. And I also think getting rich on helping people be more financially literate and do the right things with their money. I don't have any stank on that. Do well by doing good. Hey, and on that note, uh, Acorn that I just brought up, for those of you that don't know the app Acorns, its core product is rounding up your purchases and the money that you do that with goes into an index fund. They're going public in the second half this year, and they're using a SPAC to go public. Okay. You look at all of these, you know, we talk about all these celebrities and we joke about them getting rich. If this is an emerging area, this is someplace maybe we put a few bucks well, again, you're not going to get the actual IPO price. So it's it's just like any other investment. I mean, people get wrapped up in IPOs like there's some kind of magic pill that pretends financial independence immediately or something, but it's no different than any other investment. It's got to be profitable. It's got to be a company that has a strategic mode around it that has the ability to continue to grow and isn't just about the distribution of assets to the shareholders. I mean, sometimes uh, public offering happens because of the fact that it's owned by so many different layers of people. As they continue to build, they have to add more investors and more investors put more money into it. And if those investors want to get paid out. And so the way that they get paid out is by selling the company, they sell it publicly. So that kind of first layer of wealth has already been created. It's like buying Dogecoin at 40 cents going, at least I'm going to go from 40 cents to $4. It's like the real money was made when it was 0.0000001 cent. That went to 40 cents. That was where all the real money was made. Bam. Now, it doesn't mean that it's always the case. Obviously, Amazon IPO'd in the 90s, and now it's worth you know, many multiples more than that. But it's a long investment. It's not a, it's not a short, get-rich-quick type of thing. So if you're going to add any stock, whether it's Acorns or any other publicly traded company, it's got to be 
additive to your portfolio and it's got to have a, a specific purpose. If you're doing it for fun money, then who cares? None of that matters. It's fun money. Yeah. I was worried about that with an IPO. And by the way, with the, this being a SPAC means it isn't a true IPO, right? So this is going to be... It's like a reverse. It's, you know, the money's already there and then they kind of sort of acquire it later and you have to guess which SPAC it is and, you know. Yeah, they call this a blank check merger because you really don't know what you're buying into. You know, if you're the average investor buying into this, you're throwing darts at the beginning, which I love what you say there, OG. It's still got to be about the fundamentals, right? You can look at all the people that are involved in this. And in fact, uh, Acorns is backed by PayPal Ventures, BlackRock, Ashton Kutcher, Jennifer Lopez, Dwayne Johnson, and more. You know, you can't just look at the list of other people that are doing it because their net worth, they can withstand a big, huge loss with some of their money. But they're not going to keep their money there. That's my point. Like, you know, they put in their million dollars when it was worth $20 million. Now it's worth $200 million. Uh, They're getting their 10x return right now. This is the event for them to get out while you're getting in. Exactly. They're using your money to get out. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The 10x was already made for them. The next 10x may happen, but it's not going to happen in the same time or fashion generally is. You know, that's one reason why they go public. Another reason is it's a huge influx of cash for the company. And actually the CEO of Acorn says that they want that cash so that they can, quote, accelerate our growth and get the tools of responsible wealth making in everyone's hands as fast as possible when they need it most, CEO Noah Kerner said. And also because they want to be rich. I look at responsible wealth building, though, and I think I don't have the liquidity to do that now. Is this the best use of money? I don't, I don't know. Once again, to your point, hard to tell what the motivation is when it's an IPO. And there's so many companies out there that have been public for a long time where we can get that information and we know what we're investing in. Acorns, sounds cool, but who knows? You know, another point on this OG that I wanted to talk about is all of this uh, fintech sexiness and hotness. We talked about Robinhood earlier, but a lot of it is it goes back to the stonk trading, right? The GameStop and and AMC. Have you kept up with what's going on with either one of those companies recently? Uh, no. I mean, I kind of sort of know. Yeah. But not as of the last uh, month or so. GameStop, as we're recording this, is uh, getting ready to declare earnings at the close of business today. They still have yet to show a profit. They still have yet to show any turnaround. It'll be interesting because when you look at the plan that uh, GameStop's gotten so much hype with, it'll be exciting to see what GameStop does. But we do have more information on AMC. AMC over Labor Day weekend beat their record, which is eight years old, according to CEO Adam Aaron. AMC attracted about 800,000 moviegoers to its international theaters across Europe and the Middle East as well. They really broke it on the back of the new Disney Marvel movie, Shang-Chi. In fact, the exciting thing for AMC is they had more people in theaters than they had pre-pandemic. People thought that people, OG, were going to take their time getting back in the movie theater. People flooding back. Not so much, huh? Yeah. Here's the thing about AMC. If all this discussion that, you know, me going into this makes you go, oh, maybe I should look at AMC. Maybe not so fast. It still hasn't gotten back just above $70, which is where it was. However, if you just look at it this year, shares are up 2,300% year to date. 
I think you want to get into a stock before it goes up 2,300%, maybe not after. Just right before it does. Yeah, the day before. Preferably. If you can do that. Which I think, you know, we're joking about that, OG, but it's a good reminder that this is maybe for most people listening, a game best not played. Well, it's not. I mean, using AMC as an example, it's easy to look at the, well, it was $2 a share and now it's at 50. Dang, I should have. But where along the way over the last, oh, I don't know, five, eight years, would you have said that this was a good stock to own with all of the information that you knew about Hulu and Netflix and when Disney came out with theirs and Amazon Prime and all that other sort of stuff, January of 2014, AMC stock was at 20 bucks a share. And then it was worth 30 a year later. And then it was worth 20 a year after that. And then it was worth 30 a year after that. And then it was worth 15 a year after that. Right. (laughs) You know, and then it was worth 15 a year after that. And then in the pandemic, it was worth six and then three and then two. And oh my God, it's worth, you know, 60 and then 30 and now 50 again. So where in that eight year cycle did you go? Yeah, AMC is a good stock tone. The only reason you bought it at three was because you thought you were going to get lucky. There was no investing strategy there. No, it was clearly a gamble that paid off. For some people. So it's still not an investment to have. Yeah, I think if you're looking for predictable stocks, this hasn't been a stock that you can predict where it heads next. Then again, which stock can you predict? But this one I think has been especially difficult. Hey, Staggers is Military Appreciation Month. You know what that means. We are recognizing all of our stackers in the audience. My good friend Nords, Doug Nordman, who uh, some of you may know, he is a writer in personal finance. He's a guy I'd like to do a shout out to. He is such a giving member of the FIRE community, the Financial Independence Retire Early community. Uh, Nords will do anything for you. It's just, just, I think some of that comes from his time on a submarine, like my nephew Colin, who's on a submarine right now, and all the work that uh, he did there. Just a super giving member of the community. And you know what? Uh, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate their members who go above and beyond, not this month, but every month. Navy Federal offers members only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Here's one of their offers in honor of Military Appreciation Month. Join and get $50 when you open a credit card. Of course, you want them to have your whole debt strategy planned out, don't you? Don't just go open a credit card willy-nilly, as mom says. Uh, here's a disclaimer. you got to join and open your membership savings account between May 1st and May 31st, so get on it, stackers. Annual percentage yield is a 0.25% for membership savings account, $5 minimum balance to open. Maintain your membership savings account to obtain the bonus. Visit NavyFederal.org for full terms and conditions. That's just one of the things. They offer 24-7 help for their U.S.-based service members. They have resources all over the place. Head to NavyFederal.org for full terms, conditions, and other offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender. And before we play it, because this is a little involved, the video starts off with this wizard, Hoji, talking to Ethereum called Etheria in the video, asking to see Fiat, who, by the way, you'll hear at the end of this video, and who also notices, not happily, that gold has uh, shown up too in this little fantasy setting. This is uh, via the crypto couple. Oh, boy. I see a friend of mine, Sir Ethrock. Have you seen Fiat around here? Don't worry about Bitcoin. She's just volatile because she's about to start a super cycle. Are you seriously talking to a rock? It's an ETH rock and it's worth more than you are. Yeah, in fiat, which is gross. Richard Nixon, you son of a... 
bitch. Oh my god, it's gold. The gold? Like the prehistoric version of you? Wow. I was trying to keep up with inflation. And then Peter Schiff caught me, trapped me in his basement. I've been there for over 10 years. Wait, who are you guys? Hello, brother. And that's Fiat showing up, seeing gold. Hello, brother. That sounds like the dumbest thing that's on the internet right now. The prehistoric version of you, Bitcoin. Peter Schiff locked me up in, in, in his basement. Come on. Nope. No joy. Gold? Didn't like that one. Did not. All right. If you got something better to share with us, I think the lesson here is, is that uh, everybody's trying to, you've got fiat, you've got Bitcoin, you got Ethereum, you've got whoever this wizard is, and you have uh, gold all vying to be the standard. Richard Nixon. No, just nothing. Sorry, bro. It didn't land well. Joeestackingbenjamins.com. If you have one that's better for OG to see if you can uh, make OG laugh at your TikTok video or groan or whatever, help us out. Joe at stackybedjamins.com. I think on that note, I'll just get out of the way. It's getting uncomfortable here. And uh, maybe let Doug have his uh, rant about the, well, about the flipping heat. Did you notice it's getting hot down here? There's Staggers. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And in just a little bit, you're going to hear from David Bondanis. But one problem that David can't fix is that broken AC vent. I've been telling Joe and OG about it for weeks, but since it's only affecting my side of the basement over by the canned peaches, no one seems to care. How hot is it in here, you ask? It's so hot, you can't make a chili dog. It's so hot that my chocolate milk is now hot cocoa. It's so hot. Then I'm sweating like Joe Biden after a Taliban resurgence. What? Too soon? I mean, come on, we made fun of Trump, so I think we can do this one too. I can keep going all day, but I mean, you probably get it by now. That actually reminds me of today's trivia question. What is the number one company for air conditioner sales in the U.S.? I'll be back with your answer faster than you can cool your jets about that Biden joke. I know you know this already, OG, but when you become a member of Navy Federal Credit Union, life gets better, huh? Doesn't it? It does. It's way better. It's funny. Every time that I bought a car before Navy Federal, a little frustrating, got to tell you, but the last couple of cars that I purchased, so much easier. And it's mostly because of that true car thing. You can save thousands off MSRP with Navy Federal's car buying service, which is powered by true car. It is so amazing. And I have saved thousands of dollars. Plus, as a Navy Federal member, you're going to get member benefits like exclusive member savings with Carfax, Geico, Sirius XM. They're always available with 24-7 member service representatives to answer any questions you have. You can finance if you need a loan, buy the car for less, protect it, enjoy your auto purchase all through one convenient place. And of course, they have low rates and pre-approval good for 90 days so you know what you can afford while you shop. Remember, start off in your head, not with a payment you can afford, but with a car that you can afford. And then if you have to finance it, which remember, this is a depreciating asset, guys. If you have to finance it, then Navy Federal is a great place to start. Learn more at NavyFederal.org slash car buying. That's NavyFederal.org slash car buying credit and collateral subject to approval. Your actual savings off MSRP may vary. Navy federal credit union is federally insured by NCUA. 
And now a word from our sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Well, don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Betterment's the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Their automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal, rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line, and your dividends are automatically reinvested. That can increase the potential for compound returns. In other words, your money's breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money in the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. Hey there, stackers. It's Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I've just been venting my frustration to Joe, but he still doesn't seem to get it. He doesn't understand that it's so hot that Tabasco sauce tastes mild. It's so hot that I'm using Celsius instead of Fahrenheit just to have a lower number. I mean, I can't even. As soon as it's Doug's issue around here, it's like it's not an issue at all. Hopefully these yahoos will take a lesson or two from David Bodanis about being diplomatic and the power of listening. I said listen! But before I pass things to David, let's get back to today's trivia. The question was, what is the number one company for air conditioner sales in the U.S.? Coming in at number three, it's Train. At number two, it's Daikin. And finally, the big number one is Carrier. Now let's carry this over to Joe and special guest, David Bodanis. See ya! And on my dad's shortwave radio, all the way from London, I'm so happy he's here with us. David Bodanis joins us. How are you? I'm doing fine. Thank you very, very much for having me. Well, I'm super excited to get into this. I have about eight hours worth of questions. I'm going to try to squeeze them into 20 or 25 minutes for our audience but you pack so much into this work. I want to begin from the beginning because I like where you start, David, with with this pandemic and the origins of the pandemic. And this woman, and I'm going to not say her name correctly. I believe it's Aslam Trichy. Yeah, that's good enough. Yeah. Set the scene. She is sitting at breakfast and she's reading about this virus in China and she's thinking she may be able to help. How come? Well, it turns out she and her husband were, uh, they'd been like medical students and biology researchers, and they had a, a medium-sized, not big, not small, a biotech company in Germany. It wasn't in Berlin or Frankfurt. It was in a small town, uh, sort of like in the west of Germany. And they were looking for stuff to do. And they had a new technology, a technology that didn't go right into the uh, DNA, but that went into the little messengers that came out from the DNA called, surprise, surprise, messenger RNA. And they, they've been trying to use that because it, in theory, it could be really, really nicely honed for something. And when they came across this, this new news, I think it was in January of, uh, of last year, and it was a real surprise then. They thought, aha. And it turns out designing a vaccine, coming up with a potential blueprint, that's not so hard. Making it work, that's what takes six months or eight months. In the old days, it would take 10 years. The, the, and so she and her husband thought, let's do it. Yeah. Well, and, and the magic of this story for me is that you explained that this type of research that they're doing, there's a bunch of bad actors here, David. There's all kinds of people that work for them could steal. You've got uh, Eastern Europe right next to you. You've got the Russians. And these people are are good at stealing all this information. Totally. 
I suppose the essence of the book is how do you survive or even do well in a world where not everybody's a nice guy? And so we know that there's two extremes that don't work. If somebody's really nice and polite, it's good to have as a neighbor, maybe as a spouse, but that won't work in hard or competitive business. You, you, you have to keep your door locked. You know, you have to be aware that there's going to be ripoff artists. So we know that purely nice is pleasant, but by itself, it won't get you very far. Maybe you could be a, a quiet school teacher or something. On the other hand, does that mean you have to go and be a real hard, nasty person? Do you have to be a real SOB? Because we know that nasty, terrible people can be really successful. Two people are going for a taxi. If I'm meek and gentle, another person is really nasty. They get there at the same time. I'll, they'll, they'll get the taxi. They will win over me. They will succeed. And uh, nasty people can yell and scream and get their ways. They can fire people with no compunction. So we know that horrible people can succeed in business and finance and law and government, whatever. So there's two extremes. Really sweet and gentle and nice. Nice guys finish last is actually true. Nice guys finish last. On the other hand, the opposite extreme of being horrible, do you have to go that far? And I thought, wouldn't it be interesting? Is it possible? Is there an intermediate path in all sorts of different fields where you're harder than soft and nice, but not vicious like that? Can you take that path and succeed? And I thought, well, if I just said that, People will say, well, that's fine for Bodanis. He's a quiet writer living in London, England. It's a gentle country. So <laughs> what? You know? But if I could find 10 examples of people in hard competitive fields who succeeded that way, that'd be really interesting. Then you'd want to think, what's their secret? How do they do it? And the vaccine world, it's right up to date. And as you said, boy, the rewards are billions, plus also the honor and grandeur of saving mankind. So it brings out the worst, you know? It brings out these dangers all around you. So I thought if I could see how these people navigated the path, and it turns out these people navigated exactly the middle line. They weren't naively soft, but they weren't nasty. And I show at each stage how that succeeded. And they end up doing very well. I mean, not just financially, they helped the world a lot. Their mRNA was the one that was sold to Pfizer, correct? Yep. Pfizer did help with some of the testing and marketing, but they came up, they created the vaccine. It was a small, uh, the, the company in Germany was called BioNTech. Uh, the other thing that's really nice is these people, uh, they're German, but they're ethnically Turkish. One was born in Turkey, one was born as a child in Germany. And uh, a little bit after their company was founded a few years ago, there was a central banker in Germany, a very important person on the equivalent of the Federal Reserve, who wrote a book saying that Turks are awful because they're lowering the collective IQ of our country. Well, by the uh, November of last year, less than a year after they began their research, they got approval, uh, FDA approval, that this thing had worked really well and safely and with great effectiveness in 10,000, 20,000 people. The valuation of what they had was greater than that of Deutsche Bank. So they hadn't done too badly for uh, these people <laughs> who were going to lower the IQ of Germany. They might have raised it so, a point or two, actually. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, so all these things, if they had been jerks and they like, didn't listen to people below them, you know, really, we hate a boss who never listens, then they wouldn't have gotten fresh insights and uh, responded to creativity from the people under them. If you're uh, aggressive to somebody and all you do is take from them, what you get back is resentment. However, if somebody's generous to you, what they get back is beautiful. They get back gratitude. Now, so I talk about there's techniques to make gratitude work. You can't just be generous to everybody. There's a few people who are going to take advantage of you. So you need to audit. You need to check that people aren't ripping you off. But if you have that, I call it street smarts or common sense, then the ethos of, of generosity is so much better than the ethos of resentment. The whole lab, people are pulling together to try to do it. 
Yeah, I felt like I could feel as I was reading this, David, the whole lab kind of working together collectively. This is not her and her husband's goal. This is a world goal. And they have this opportunity to change everything. And I could feel from your writing, the whole team getting behind them. Totally. And without that, it doesn't work that well. If you've ever worked in a poisonous organization, people might do the minimum amount so they're not fired, but they're not doing one extra step. They're not going above and beyond the call of duty. A lab technician will be embarrassed to say, ooh, what if we do it slightly differently? I think I can get the readings more quickly. And the scientists will be embarrassed to say, or won't even dare to say, hey, I have a different approach. Let's let's try it uh, with this different uh, microscope or whatever. But with the right ethos, people pull together. And now to do that, how do you do it? To listen properly, you have to listen without ego. And that's really hard. We love ego. I'm a great believer of standing there in front of the mirror and saying, you beautiful boy. <laughs> and if the mirror isn't there, we ask other people to do it. We want them to see how impressive we are. There have been certain political leaders in American history, not in the distant past, who were proud of being, uh, who were not known for having a small ego. Yeah. The thing is, the ego can't be zero. This couple didn't get their, their PhDs in Germany. So they, they had to have you know, tough skins and really push hard to get it. So they weren't naive. So they had some ego, but they would put it aside in the setting and they delighted when the people, quote unquote, under them came up with ideas that were as good as theirs or better. They said, this is great. It's pulling in together. There was a beautiful French poet, uh, Saint-Exupéry, who wrote the, uh, the Little Prince. And he once said, love isn't looking in each other's eyes. Love is looking together in the same direction. And isn't that great? I, I think that's fantastic. And you have a few pillars in listening. You mentioned was number one, respect and trust. And I want to dive into those specifically through the first story in the book, because I feel it's such a great illustration of what you're talking about. But even before we get to that, this idea that nice guys finish last, right? There's this famous quote that I've heard, nice guys finish last. Where does that even come from? Comes from a man who I met, uh, the advantage of being old, Leo DeRocher was an uh, American baseball player and then a baseball manager. And in the 1940s, he was sitting in the dugout in, in New York, and he looked at the opposing team, and they were coming out from their dugout. And he said to a sports reporter next to him, he said, look at those guys, nicest guys in the world. They're going to finish last. So the headline writers the next day in one of the New York papers wrote, nice guys finish last. And DeRozier said, yeah, you're going to call me a, a, a Scrooge for saying that, but it's true. Nice guys finish last. Well, Swiley so was really interested in that. Turns out, Leo DeRocher destroyed his own career by being too much of a not nice guy. So his players hated his guts. I mean, they really hated his guts. Uh, in Chicago in uh, 1969, he had a, a very strong baseball team, and they were number one in the National League East. But the players hated him so much because he wouldn't just say, come on, come on, you can do it, you little weakling, that's a sort of a tease. He would pick on somebody and really get to hurt them. So the shortstop was uh, an Italian-American guy. And uh, DeRocher would look at him and say, you know what? Probably you Italians, you're actually weak. Your mother's weak. You're, there's something wrong. Oh, Lord. Yeah, exactly. And the short thought grabbed him by the throat. He said, you can't say that and stuff. One time there was a, a fan who was sort of insulting DeRosier. Ah, DeRosier, you got a big mouth. So DeRosier nodded to an off-duty cop. The off-duty cop took him to a, a side room where there was no one else around. And DeRosier started punching the guy in the face so hard, he broke his jaw and kept on going. It went to court. And the, the, the off-duty cop said, you know, I was saying, Leo, Leo, stop, stop. He couldn't. He had that anger. And so the result is his own players hated him. They wouldn't go the extra mile. The umpires really hated him. Somebody once said, DeRocher may not have united the uh, Cubs against the uh, umpires, but he certainly united all the league's umpires <laughs> against the Cubs. And the opposing team... It sounds, it sounds like Billy Martin a little bit. Yes, and uh, you know, with, with ups and downs. And the, it turns out in that year, the only way that the Cubs could have lost the pennant 
would be if they lost, I don't know, late August, if they just gave up and they had a terrific lead. I can't remember eight games or 12 games or something. And they did. And the team they lost to was the New York Mets, which at that time was a relatively new team. And the guy who ran the Mets was a, a man named Gil Hodges. And he was known not for being the nicest guy in the league. Remember, nice won't work, but being the most decent guy in the league. And Gil, he, Gil or Jill, I'm not sure. I'll call him Gil. He was never loud and emphatic, but it turns out he didn't have to be. Insecure people show up, secure people don't. Uh, Hodges uh, had grown up the son of a coal miner. Uh, and I think in Pennsylvania or the East Coast, it's tough living. He had served in Okinawa in World War II, uh, had a, a medal for valor in combat. He was a tough guy. Uh, baseball is a game where you wear flannel pajamas and run around with a stick and a ball. And he knew that. I mean, he took it seriously, but he also knew there were other things more important. So one time, one of his uh, star outfielders was uh, acting up and it was a doubleheader in the summer. The game wasn't important. And the guy sort of gave up um, and just didn't really run for a ball. So Gil Hodges wasn't going to insult him. I uh, wasn't going to demean him as a person, but he took him off the field uh, then and there. And he took him off the field in the following way. He walked slowly by himself, the manager, across the infield, into the outfield. So the guy, let's let's walk back. And they walked back the entire stadium watching what was going on. They didn't demean him. He said, you know what? It's, when you push a little bit harder, I, I, I think you'll be back on. And that was their star player. Wow. And the next day, uh, Gil Hodges started him. said, look, I really mean it. Let bygones be bygones. It's, it's over. I believe I, in you. I believe in you. And that guy delivered. He really delivered. And in the World Series, he did a spectacular diving, leaping catch at one point. He went the extra mile. You don't have to love somebody to uh, respect them. You don't even have to like them. It's nice if you like them. But if they're dead fair plus competent, you'll follow them anywhere. And that's the beautiful line that in the book, uh, The Art of Fairness, I show a lot of people following you know, I'm wondering, and this is not where I was initially going, but as I'm listening to you talk, I'm wondering your thoughts, because you've studied this for so long, not just this project, but I feel like the other projects you've worked on before this have led to this. The role of social media here in a world that's getting more and more mean, has social media made us meaner quicker as a world? It's hard to tell. It, it, social media reminds me, I'm, I'm, I'm not an expert. Again, I'm the wrong demographic. I'm too old. But social media gives me the impression that it acts a little bit like money or beauty. People say that a great beauty or great money, what it does is it, it magnifies what's already there. So if somebody is uh, it's a bit of a jerk and they get a real lot of money, they'll be a jerk on a large level. They'll boss their friends around. They'll be obnoxious to men or women. They'll, you, know, you know, that sort of person. If they're a really decent person with good values, usually good family values underneath, they got a lot of money. Well, they're human. They might be a little bit indulgent. I would get some beautiful bound editions of books, which I don't really need. But hopefully they then use philanthropy. They're fair to people. They're not going to be bossy to waitresses or secretaries or consultants and stuff. They'll still remember that beautiful line, you know, there but for the grace of God go I. That they'll still be have this lowercase d democratic ethos, this notion of reciprocity. And the same thing with somebody who's very beautiful, a, a woman who's very beautiful or even a guy who's super handsome. They can often get their way. They put on this charming smile and get their way. They can use it really badly, indulgently to get out of problems, yeah. or they can use it in a helpful way to encourage and get something good happening. It's, so the it's, same thing, I think, was with uh, social media. Yeah, it's just uh, a hype machine. I think that's what you're saying is that it's just, hey, if you're good, it'll magnify it. If it's bad, it magnifies that too. Correct. And sort of like uh, the beta in the stock market, the, the variability, the variation goes up. The danger is the following. Good is it's nice, but it goes up to a certain limit. Bad goes really bad very quickly. And unfortunately, humans have the capacity in private. Our, our nature is such that we have a bad side that can come out. So we, we need to be uh, socialized uh, away from that. Little children from whatever family, if they're left alone too long, the sort of the Lord of the Flies principle, they'll act up. 
with the proper reminders, we won't act up. But we, we know we need and, and like these reminders. Think of our own self-indulgence. If I want to, I don't know, go to the gym and lose weight. Well, I can say I'm going to do that. And probably for a few weeks after January 1st, I'll do it. But if I'm meeting some buddies there regularly, I don't want to let them down. So a, a social setting can be there. And the problem with social media is it magnifies things strongly through the social setting. It can produce, again, great virtues. People be, people think of people in the army who will sacrifice themselves for their mates. They might not be that generous on their own. They, they don't have the opportunity, but they're encouraged with others. They can be wonderful or the opposite, you know, war crimes and stuff. So it magnifies. And unfortunately, our society doesn't yet have the mechanisms to control the bad magnification. Let's dive into listening in the first chapter. There is a plane that is piloted by a gentleman named Al Haynes. And to, Texas. <laughs> to set up this story, can you tell me a little bit about Al Haynes and what's going on at the beginning of this really horrible and yeah, so great this is a tale? Story. In the old days, before the pandemic, I used to travel a lot and you know, always loved airplanes. So I came across this one case of an airliner. It was like, I don't know, two or 300 people on board. And it was flying from the West Coast into Chicago. A terrible thing happened when it's at 30,000 feet over the Midwest. Boom. One of the big engines exploded. And it was one of the uh, uh, big jets. that had an engine on each wing and an engine back in the middle. They have little hydraulic tubes with liquid under pressure, and that drives it. So these tubes are crucial. Without that, the plane is just a big chunk of metal waiting for Sir Isaac Newton to bring it crashing out of the sky. So engineers are really smart. They make sure that these hydraulic tubes are wrapped in tight steel, and they're totally separate systems for like different parts of the plane. So this particular airplane had three separate hydraulic lines, each one separate, each one wrapped in steel. So in an explosion, wouldn't destroy all three, except the, there's one point where all three hydraulic lines came together in the tail. That's where the explosion was. The explosion damaged the tail and cut all three hydraulic lines. And in the cockpit, the flight engineer, they, at that time they had a pilot, co-pilot, and flight engineer, he saw something that they never even put in testing. So the hydraulic fluid was going down, 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 down to zero in every one. He said, but that's impossible. The plane won't fly. And at that moment, all the controls locked. Imagine you're on a curvy road and whatever your last position of the car was, it's locked. So this airplane, when they realized what was happening, it started turning, tilting to the side. If that continued, the plane turns over, it has no stability and it crashes from 30,000 feet. So it turned out they managed just to the pilot by a quick reflex. Remember, so there's an engine on each wing and one in the back. The one in the back was no longer working. And as the plane started tilting to the right, he quit put more fuel into the uh, engine to the right. So it went up a little bit more stable. And then something began, a, a beautiful word I never heard of before. Had you ever heard of the word fugoid before? I had not heard the word fugoid I never, fugoid I before. read so much. I never heard the word fugoid, fugoid. Can you say fugoid? No. Fugoid. So a fugoid cycle is if you're going in a straight line and you start tilting up a little bit and then you tilt down a little bit and you tilt up a little bit and tilt down a bit. And if you think about an, an airplane, it's looking like, say, a, a pen. And it, it balances on a certain point. The fugoid cycle is going up and down the balance point. That's all that's happening. So his fugoid cycle, if he was going horizontally, it wouldn't be so bad. You tilt up a little bit, then you tilt down a little bit, you're back where you started. Uh-uh. His fugoid cycle, they would tilt up, they would rise up maybe about 1,000 feet, they would lose lift, and then they would tilt down and start flying down towards the earth about maybe 5,000 feet. Each time, they were losing several thousand feet of altitude. They were going to hit the ground in about 20, 23 minutes, and they couldn't turn the plane. They couldn't aim the plane anywhere. It was just wasn't going towards any runway. It was just, I think it was maybe over Kansas or something. It was going to hit hard. So the question is, how do you fix it? And the pilot, well, 
what is our reflex? We're human. We often say, be quiet. Let me think. Right. Yeah. That's a very, you need that. You and, need a certain amount of thinking. And this guy, David is a very seasoned pilot. I mean, he, yeah. he was a pilot in the military. I believe he, yeah. he had all kinds of training. He knew what he was doing. So I would think your natural reflex would be, I'm the smartest person in the room back away from me. Correct. And sometimes that works. Sometimes a really experienced person is wise for them to do it. And the thing is the first things he tried quickly, he, he had the uh, honesty to realize they weren't working. They could tug as much as they wanted. It's like when you went from power steering to manual, but suppose it was like, I don't know, like a, a huge tank. You cannot run that on manual. It's just, you can't, you can maybe tug a 1200 pound car, not a 50 ton tank. So then he had to do the following thing. He had to bring in other sources of information, but he couldn't be passive before them. You remember you want to be nice, but you can't be too soft. You want to be fair, but you don't want to be. So if he listened to everybody, if he listened to the co-pilot and it turns out there was a trainee pilot on board, like a, a kid who had not, a young man who hadn't flown much, who came up to the cockpit, didn't want his help. And the air hostess, the stewardess, they had ideas. That wasn't right. He also Ooh. knows, by the way, the stakes here is he's finding these people. I think I read that he knew that nobody had survived this before. That, that, oh, yeah, that, exactly. Because you can't, because it's, it isn't a matter of skill. If you're locked in, a, in a, and you're going on a fluvoid cycle that's going down, every cycle is maybe like two or three minutes, and you're losing a few thousand feet each time, you are going to hit the ground and you can't aim and turn the plane. That's what was so frustrating. Yeah. You can't even say, okay, I'm heading towards a runway. I'll try to get the tilt just to the right point. So he knew that it, it was no good. Yeah. It turns out on the airplane, there was a, a guy who'd been an instructor pilot uh, for the airline who was sitting in back, and, and he came up and said, Could I help? And uh, the pilot, Al Haines, said, yeah, man, let's do it. And also, he listened when it was appropriate to the co-pilot and to the flight engineer. They tried speaking to their engineering headquarters in San Francisco. But unfortunately, uh, no disrespect for the people at headquarters, those people couldn't grasp it. They said, we have no hydraulic fluid, the pilot said. And they said, um, there's a problem on the line. It sounded like you said you have no hydraulic fluid. You can't be in the air without hydraulic fluid. They said, no, we have none. Uh, sorry, there's, that's not possible. So it's like it, they couldn't get help from them. So the pilot had to work out, was there something from the instructor pilot that he could learn from? Was there any information from the ground control at the airport that they wanted to turn towards? And, and to do it in about five minutes. Yeah. And, and you had to do it all really quickly. And it turns out there was a black box recording much of the conversation. Should I say what happened? Should I just say, read the book? Chapter no, one? actually, actually, let's finish this story because there's there's so many other stories. I mean, the story of the empire state building is amazing. The story, story. of, and we're not going to get to the Olympics and Danny Boyle and Sebastian Coe, which I thought was also very compelling. There's so many great stories, but let's finish this one off. Well, it turns out I've, I've sat on a horse for fun. I'm not, I can't call myself a horse rider, but people who are a, a horseman or horsewomen are often very good pilots. Uh, the air force often recognizes that or private pilots recognize that there's a sort of touch. And uh, with the horse also, uh, if you act like a horrible bully, you might get a certain complacency, but you know you won't get that much. Good horse, good jockeys, good riders, they, they know what they're doing. They, they have a connection. It's a little bit like a connection somebody might have with the dog, but, but more so. The guy who was the instructor pilot, uh, L. Haynes had him stand between the uh, pilot and the co-pilot and put a hand on each of the uh, throttles, which control the fuel to the left-hand engine and the right-hand engine. And he just let that guy get a feel for it. And it turns out, as that man standing there holding each of the throttles got a feel, he realized, oh, I see. We have these fugoi cycles. We're going up, we're going down. But there's a point where I can just slightly put a little bit more fuel on one side or another, and I can sort of get a little bit of a turn going. So we can sort of turn 
in the direction of the airport we want. We're facing like, you know, in the wrong direction. It's north of us. We're facing east. And I just accelerate a little bit on the right-hand side and we turn a little bit. And then he overshot, so we had to do some more circles. But eventually they sort of, as the Fuglar was bringing him down, 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 they were beginning to turn towards the direction of the airport. One of the sad things about it, which is, is very poignant, is the airline was having a promotion for children that week. And so there are a lot of children on board. And at one point, one of the pilots or co-pilot had to go to the back of the plane just to check was there any chance that there might be some residual fuel, uh, hydraulic fluid left somewhere? And as he walked by, he saw that some of the uh, uh, parents, uh, to be honest, the mothers, had made little uh, cushion piles for their babies to put them on the floor. And if you impact at 500 miles an hour, that has no effect. doesn't matter. So it was, a, it was a hell of a thing. Anyways, it turns out these were superb pilots. And people who studied aviation history, so this is one of the best examples of piloting uh, that there was. So they landed, and they landed hard. They almost landed at the right point in the flugoy cycle, and they were just about to tilt up. And these, this airline, they were so good, the pilots, Al Haynes and the others, they were almost flared just before, but unfortunately another flugoy began, and they slammed down. They slammed down so hard that the wheel cut, I think it was 16 or 18 inches, into the cement runway. Could you imagine that? Kind of hard. And so the plane hit, a wing hit, it fell apart, it flipped, blah, blah, blah. Turned out, sadly, something like 100 people died, but happily, something like 150 people lived. And and by the way, the numbers, the specific numbers in your book, 112 people uh, passed away, which is horrible, mm-hmm. but it was 188 lived. Amazing. Amazing. And it turned out, so the firemen and everybody were there racing around. And they were racing to the main body of the airplane because they had managed to reduce the speed and get it lined up. And there was one place where they thought they... There should be nothing. There was this crushed metal box at one point. As they went by, they heard sounds from it. And there was the cockpit. And it turned out they managed to prize it open. And the pilot and co-pilot and flight engineer and this uh, train and this instructor were there. They were alive. Uh, they were wounded. But all of them, within a year or two, were mobile and uh, went back to being pilots. That's so amazing. I found because every time you hear about any crash, the pilots are always dead. Uh, For sure. And the key thing there, the principle, was that that listening without ego. So think about that sort of that middle line. He had to put his ego aside and say, look, if you can help me, this is great for our higher task. We're looking in the same direction. On the other hand, even with highly skilled people, you have to have a synthesis. It's sort of like in a good committee meeting. Committees usually fall apart because if you have somebody soft running it, all you get is everybody blapping. And if you have an alpha running it, nobody gets to say anything. So you need somebody in between. So L. Haynes would elicit the information, then he'd make an executive decision, and then he'd have people assess it. And he did that quickly over and over as they refined and got better and better and better and had that as close to success as you can get. You talk about uh, uh, this goes along with the stuff that uh, General Stanley McChrystal wrote about a few years ago with chess versus gardening, where you really need to plant a garden versus moving chess pieces and kind of listen to Yes, you have a sort of certain modesty in raising children and educating people in letting a business division work properly. Think about it from the other side. We often, these books are often written for the dictators at the top. Imagine we're like the poor nebbish at the bottom or the plant growing or the student or the person new at a company. We love when the manager gives us our head, gives us discretion. Now the organizers, they still need some control. They need to make that final decision, but if they give you that space, if they put their ego aside and listen, if they give you the opportunity, you'll have, your energy and your gratitude will just pour right out. David, I've studied your work and I feel like this brings to a head lots of the stuff that you've already talked about in the past about creativity, how society changes. Did this verify things that you already thought or what did you learn through the process of writing this book and doing this project? 
what I learned is how narrow this successful path is. And I know even for myself, so I've never really run any big organizations or managed anything, but I've tangentially been involved with some stuff. And you can read all these beautiful things. You can read the Sermon on the Mount in the New Testament. You can read these beautiful, beautiful words and agree with them entirely, but it's deadline and you're pressured and people are acting like jerks and stuff. So it's easy to just forget all of that and be bossy. And it's not counterproductive. In the short term, it works. Get up, move on and do this. People will jump and they'll do it. In the long term, you're just storing up resentment. They do not like you and they're not going to show initiative and you develop the wrong sort of habits and stuff. I think what I learned was that some people manage to have the self-control to get this right path. And it's not a phony self-control. It isn't like a sweet, syrupy tone that isn't real. Nobody likes bosses like that. Yeah. You almost want somebody who's willing to be mean. And I think I mentioned, uh, yeah, we were saying earlier that you don't have to like uh, the boss, but you want is a mixture of competency and fairness. Suppose there's a doctor or suppose there's a boss at uh, the work or something who's all syrupy and stuff, but they don't follow through. You don't like it. Or they really are. They, they are consistently nice, but they, they're, they're clueless. They can't lead you in the right direction. Think of something like Stanley McChrystal. If I was ever the great American general, if I was ever lost behind the enemy lines, I would like it very much if it was with Mr. McChrystal. I hope he's a nice, pleasant man. I've never met him, but I don't care if he's a nice, pleasant man. I want this man who will get me out of that situation. Then whether we hug or not is, is, is a separate matter. You want Al Haynes flying that plane. The book is yeah. called The Art of Fairness, The Power of Decency in a World Turned Mean. And uh, the, the stories, your gift as a storyteller, I know you already know this, is just amazing. I was there on the edge of my seat. Uh, available everywhere? Yes, indeed. Awesome. David, thanks a ton for taking time out of your busy uh, schedule to hang out with us for a few minutes in mom's basement. I appreciate it. Greatest pleasure. Hey, this is Andy Hill from the Marriage, Kids, and Money podcast. And when I'm not singing Disney karaoke songs with my kids at home, I'm stacking Benjamins. Dug in the hot jokes. Maybe uh, Diana, I know, is going to be here on Friday. Maybe Diana can do some heat jokes uh, a little better. We shall see. Time will tell. Yes, we will make it a competition. Hey, big thanks again to David Bodanis. Collaboration, listening, and respect. I'm, it's, it's so difficult. It's so, so difficult to know when to take other people's input and when not to. And how do you say, well, that person is just the blank, so I'm not going to listen to them versus that person can help. Having the ability to decide where your information comes to, but doing it without prejudice. Yeah. That's well, a sign of a good leader. I mean, when you increase other people's confidences along the way, you know, then people also will share in your ability to be able to, you know, self-regulate, if you will. Like, think about like, yeah, I can't, I shouldn't show off here. This isn't my expertise. Or, you know, Joe has empowered me and trust me, and this is an area of my expertise. So I am going to, I am going to kind of bring it a little bit here because I, I am kind of the smartest person in the room on this topic, even though I'm the most junior person. But that stuff starts that empowerment, that confidence building starts long before the, the need for it arrives. That's a great, great point. Like you've got to get to that inflection point where you not only need them, but they feel confident enough to speak up. Yeah. Yeah. Great stuff. I was so happy that we got to talk to David to kick off these eight weeks. And man, if you think that was fun, wait till you see what we've got coming up. By the way, if you want a guide to everything that we talked 
about with David and our headlines and the, the TikTok video, all kinds of links that round out your experience. We've got our free stacker guide, stackybedjamins.com forward slash stacker, and you'll get not just the links from the show notes, but also Brooke loads that with lots of additional information to round out your your knowledge on anything that interests you on our shows. Hey, let's throw out Haven Lifeline OG and tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, they put what you value first. Sharing with everybody my confidence. <laughs> <laughs> and landing the plane. <laughs> uh, it's your loved ones in your time, but I can see how you could uh, juxtapose those. It's why they've created a modern way to buy quality term life insurance. Go to stackybedjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now. You'll get a free quote. Prices are affordable. All policies issued by their parent company, Mass Mutual. Application is easy to complete online and they give you an instant coverage decision. You don't have to wait several weeks. You can get it right away. And by the way, their customer support, absolutely amazing with our friends over at Matt and the team over there at, at Haven Life. Hey, today we're going to dive into our Facebook group, The Basement. Leah had a question that a lot of us may be feeling right now for thinking about real estate, about buying a new house, and wanted to get your take on this, OG. Leah says, I'd like to buy a house now for purely personal, practical, emotional reasons that have nothing to do with the market. And I love that she can identify that. That's an aside on, on my part. Back to Leah. She says, I understand my home loan will be a liability, not an asset, as it will not generate income. I don't plan to house hack or rent out rooms, also for personal reasons. I have enough cash for the down payment. I earn enough to afford the mortgage. I will still have a six-month emergency fund. What kills me is the awful, awful timing of the market appearing to be at its height at the same exact time when I'm finally ready to and need to buy a home. I have a sense of dread about buying at the top of the market. It seems really foolish. But once again, my goal is not flipping or investing, et cetera. Can anyone give me advice? Should I wait a year? I just feel I'm truly wasting money on rent at my age and my station in life. Thanks for any advice. I want to, well, first of all, let's get your overall take. And then there's a couple things in here that Leah talks about OG that I'd like to dive into as well. I think firstly, you have to recognize that you're not throwing away money on rent. The rent payment is substantially less than what your house payment will be with all of the other stuff that goes into house ownership. It's not throwing it away. You're actually saving money. It's afforded you the opportunity to save the money to get the down payment on a house, frankly. And I think when you start using words like now I have to, or because I'm so old, I must, as it relates to financial goals, then you know, you're kind of already deciding in your mind, right? When you say things like, well, I'm finally at the point that I need to buy a house. Well, nobody needs to buy a house. I mean, nice to have one and, you know, you can move your stuff one last time and, you know, you can stay there for 40 years and paint it whatever color you want. And like, all that's great, but you don't need to do that. You need to have food. You need to have water. You don't need to own a house. And if you change the vocabulary just a smidge, you know, the words matter a little bit. I think you'll find the answer to your own question. Now, whether or not the housing market goes up or down or sideways from here I don't think anybody knows. And it certainly is very hyper-local. In certain areas, I can't see the market going down for a long time. In other areas, you look and you go, how are prices so high over here? <laughs> you know, when you think about just demographic trends and the where people are moving from and moving to, I think it stands to reason that there are certain areas that might continue to go up. But by the same token, if it does go down and you're looking at it as a, from a long-term perspective, so be it, you know? you will kind of feel a little 
flabbergasted, I guess, that you decided to buy at the exact peak. But but if that's the concern that you have, you have to weigh that against whether or not a year from now, if prices are another 10% higher, if you're more upset by that and and you wait for the inevitable or in your mind, the inevitable crash, this is no different than trying to time out the stock market. Housing market is not nearly as robust as the total valuation of all of the publicly traded companies in the entire world, but it's a lot. There's a lot of houses and betting on the houses to go down in value over long periods of time, I think is a losing Not a great bet. Yeah. Well, here's what I was thinking. Leia waits a year. She waits 12 months. Prices do continue to go up for 11 of those months. They come down and she times it right, but it's still higher than it is today. Yeah. And again, it just depends on where you are and, and, and what you're looking for. I mean, if you're trying to buy a three and a half million dollar oceanfront house, I think there's wide variability in those prices. If you're trying to buy a three bedroom, two bath colonial in downtown USA, where 10,000 people a year move to, I don't think there's going to be as much price volatility because lots of people need three bedroom, two bath houses. Not a lot of people need $3 million condos on the water. See, I use the word need again. I think there's a less likelihood that there's wild price swings. I mean, the last time that we saw a big housing change was in 2007 and 2008. So I think betting on the lowering of prices in the long run is a pretty, pretty foolish bet. I'd buy the house, to be honest. Yeah, I think if it's a big decision, Leia, you're going to second guess it no matter what it is because it's so much money. Yeah. And I think second guess it, there's nothing wrong with second guessing it because you need to make sure that you're doing it for the right reasons. And I love the fact that she notices, OG, that it's not a savings. It's not an asset that she's counting for net worth. She understands the mortgage implications. I feel like she's thought yeah. through it. And there's nothing wrong with taking your time and being deliberate. You know, you can go hire a realtor, lay out the parameters and start looking at houses. You don't have to buy the first one that you walk into. Frankly, you probably won't be able to, you know, because there'll be so many, uh, so many other competing bids. <laughs> so you're not going to be able to do it anyway. I know when we bought our house, one of the things that we decided to do was to narrow down the community. And we did that by going to open houses every single week for a long time. Uh, once we narrowed down the community and we said, okay, this seems to be the place we want to go. We went and toured every house that was available for sale for seven months in the town or in the community that we wanted to buy in every single one. And what we figured out was a couple of things. We figured out number one, who the realtor was that actually did all the stuff, you know, cause you can drive up and down the street and you see different signs and they yeah. all kind of blur together. But if you see the same person every weekend or every other weekend for six straight months, you go, that person's the player here. They know the neighborhood. And I think that helped us quite a bit when we did buy this house because the guy's name was Mike and his wife, Pam, and they said, hey, this house is perfect for you guys. We've seen your kids. We you know, we know what you're interested in, and we found this one for you. In fact, there was a time that we saw this house. We were at another place, and he said, can you hang out for 30 more minutes? At, and 30, I want to drive you over to this other one. I think you'd like better. And that was because we had seen this person, you know, this realtor, he and his wife. I, they knew you. We had seen him, you know, two dozen times. Same thing happened with us when we moved back to Texarkana with uh, Amy, who was the person that sold our house when we left here. Yeah, I think um, I think any chance that you have to be deliberate about it is probably better. And it also gives you a sense of 
trying to figure out exactly what it is that you do want. Because right now you're focused on the price and the savings and I've reached this goal and now I got to go buy this house. But do you prefer wood floors or carpeting? Do you want granite countertops or quartz? Do you think that crown molding is good or bad? You know, do you need an acre or a tenth of an acre lot? Do you want a two-car garage or carport? Okay. Like these are the things that you haven't thought about yet. And by going out and finding the area in which you want to live, which P.S., live close to all the stuff, like your work and your church and your, you know, don't commute if you can avoid it. But um, if you see enough houses, you'll start piecing together like, I like that. I don't like that. I can see how that would be functional. I never thought about that along the way. So just have some fun with it. Hey, if you've got a question for us, and by the way, thanks to uh, Leah for taking that to our community. You can take it to our community, which is our Facebook group, The Basement. A lot of very nice people there. StackyBedjamins.com forward slash basement is the link uh, to get you there. I think it's Joe's mom's basement, or you can just go to Facebook and put in the name Stacking Benjamin's Basement, and it will come up, our private group. But a better way to do it is to go to our voicemail, the Haven Lifeline, stackingbenjamins.com forward slash voicemail, and then we'll send you some greatest money show on earth, classic swag. Actually, it's V2, which means it's collectible. And if you got the early stuff, it's even more collectible. I'm sure like NFTs are making money hand over fist. That first edition t-shirt probably making a bunch of money too. one on right now, as a matter of fact. And when we, well, yours is a three town tour. Speaking of that, we're getting ready to go back on tour. We're going to begin announcing this a few times, but if you would like to join us in Cincinnati, it's the economy conference. We're going to be kicking it off on the 12th. And by the way, the room already OG nearly a quarter filled. And this is the first time that we've announced it on the show. So head to economyconference.com. You will see a link to buy tickets for our show. It's an add-on ticket to the conference. By the way, you probably want to stick around for the conference as well. Two days. That's like a big financial geek party uh, with Diana Miriam and company there. But Cincinnati, November 12th, economyconference.com for the ticket to the show and a ticket to economy, two separate tickets. All right. Last but not least, if you're looking for better financial help in your corner as we round the turn into the home stretch, unbelievable that we're saying that. It's crazy. For isn't it? 20, I know, for 2021, where did it go? Stackingbenjamins.com forward slash OG is the link to OG's team because he and his team are taking clients. About time to get started on 2022 already. It totally is. So if you want better financial decisions in 2022 and beyond, stackingbenjamins.com forward slash OG. And that's the first step to seeing how they interface with you to make those better decisions. All right. That's going to do it for today. A lot of people to thank, but Doug, you're going to take it from here, man, because we're getting out of the heat. Let's go. What should we have learned today? So what should we have learned today? First, take a lesson from our headline. Gamification? It's helpful as long as the people making it are helping you make moves that are in your best interest, which also means that just because it's fun doesn't mean it's good for you. Wow, actually, sounded like Joe's mom there. Second, take a lesson from David Bodanis. Listening is a key part of any success story, if you're looking to bring others to success with you. In some cases, like in his story today, it can even save lives. But the big lesson? It's amazing that once David Bodanis talks about listening, now these guys are all about listening. Yeah, right. 
To learn more about our guests and for more resources, you can head to our show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com. To learn more about David Bodanis' amazing work, check out his new book, The Art of Fairness, wherever books are sold. This show is the property of SB Podcasts, LLC, copyright 2021, and is created by Joe Saul Our producer is Karen Rapine. The show is written by Taylor Stevens with help from Joe and Doc G from the Earn and Invest podcast. After you listen, check out our show notes page written by our website manager and blog editor, Brooke Miller. Brooke and Joe also collaborate on a guide to the show and with lots of extras we couldn't include on today's podcast. Heck, they'll also throw in some life money lessons from Joe and it's all free. It's called The Stacker and you'll find it at stackingbenjamins.com forward slash stacker. Once we get all of this goodness bottled up, it goes over to our engineer, the amazing Steve Stewart, who helps the rest of our team sound nearly as good as I do right now. Want to talk about the show later? Mom's friend Gertrude is the room mother in our Facebook group, The Basement. She also is our social media coordinator, so say hello when you see us posting online. Here's a weird fact. She and Tina Eichenberg are never in the same room at the same time. For a URL that'll take you right to our Facebook group, by the way, type stackingbenjamins.com forward slash basement. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, saying see you next time, folks. We talked earlier about AMC uh, with record crowds, and that's based on Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Guess who's got two thumbs and went to see it, OG? I'm going to go you. Yeah, this guy. Let's, uh, let's give it a listen. I know that you don't like to talk about your life, but a guy with a freaking machete for an arm just chopped our butts in half. Are you? On September 3rd, my father trained me to be an assassin. But that's not who I am. A Marvel legend. Will rise. You got this. Thank you. You can't outrun your destiny. My name is Shang-Chi. Shang-Chi. Shang. 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 S-H-A-N-G. Shang. That's what I said. Marvel Studios, Shang-Chi. Aquafina, in a lot of ways, steals the show. OG, one of my favorite uh, comedic 
actors, and uh, she plays the friend of Shang-Chi, who is reluctant to share with his friends uh, what family he comes from. And he comes from a very powerful family, a mother who historically has been very good and a dad who has done some very, we'll call it bad stuff, but has kind of come around to being good. And then uh, through the results of a big misunderstanding creates a global crisis that Shang-Chi has to save. I know that doesn't sound like a Marvel movie plot yeah, at all. Reluctant hero has to save everybody. And what's funny is, is that a friend of mine that we went to see it with Rick, Rick said, he's like, the plot was pretty formulaic. And I got out of the film and I didn't even realize how formulaic it was because it's so pretty and it's so funny. I can see why critics are giving this such a high ranking for a Marvel movie because I was in it. I enjoyed it. I am so sick of Marvel movies. I can't tell you how sick of Marvel movies I am. Will I still take out my wallet and go see everyone? Yes, I will. Sure will. Yeah. And why? Because they're, because they're fun. And it's funny because I did not see the latest DC film. Like, I don't know why I have interest in Marvel movies and not in the DC comic films. I don't know. Don't, don't know. I saw Aquaman. I thought that was cool. Actually, I take that back. I also saw Wonder Woman 76, which was absolutely horrible. Or 82, Wonder Woman 82, 84, whatever it takes. I don't, I don't remember. What was what was the Wonder Woman year attached to that? Unsure. That horrible movie. It. Don't see a DC movie. Yeah, just, just not that great. So uh, Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings, big uh, thumb up from me. I can see why people pack theaters. I'm sure that people early on Labor Day weekend told their friends to go see it. Uh, like I'm telling you as my friend to go see it because uh, it is, it's a, it's a ton of fun. I think y- you guys, uh, OG, the OG family, I think you'll really like it. Okay. When I feel like going to a theater again, the, I will. The, yeah. And what's bad is we tried to have a party at our house because as you know, Cruella came out and the, Black Widow movie came out on Disney Plus and you could just buy it. You couldn't buy this one. And so we actually scheduled the party for our house thinking that we could buy it. And then we did the research and found out that, and I don't know if it's Scarlett Johansson's lawsuit, which is outside the scope of this show, but uh, yeah, Scarlett Johansson sued them because she gets a portion of the receipts from the theater. And apparently streaming it on Disney Plus was not uh, part of that deal. Don't mess with the Black Widow. Go see it. Well, stackers, the show is over, but the party is just beginning here. You know why? Because it's Military Appreciation Month, and we are giving out shout-outs to all of our friends who have served in the military. And let's point uh, the finger right here at our good friend, OG, who spent time in the military. And of course, we know what a giver he is, even when he pretends like he's being uh, Mr. Surly. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members to help them reach their goals. Visit NavyFederal.org celebrate, and you'll see all their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. They've got all kinds of resources on their site, like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. So much going on. Just head over to NavyFederal.org celebrate. Take a look at all the Military Appreciation Month offers and their usual offers. Navy Federal, our members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.